physical presence, a big building that was representing God in their midst because people had compromised all over the place and this was likely to cause trouble. So the declaration from last week was, "Mm, maybe it's not time to rebuild the temple. In other words, maybe it's not time to really re-establish the presence of God in our midst. So what to do? Now, what do you do when you've come back to a place full of interest, energy and passion, but you're getting headwinds on plan A? Where you default to plan B, don't you? And in this case, this expressed itself in them investing in themselves, their own houses, land, businesses, etc. So while God's house lay in ruin, they set to work on their own houses, their panelled houses. But the impact of this overall and overarchingly is the word lean, leanness. So what seemed to happen to everything that they touched, however much energy they put into it, is that it returned little to them. Their experience of life was lean. Build my house. God's desire is for deep relationship that the text last week said will bring pleasure. Build my house was Haggai's word from God to them. It will bring you pleasure. Do not abandon plan A for a plan that is no A. Well, I had a really good trip with my beautiful youngest daughter zooming across Australia. And I I would encourage anyone that has a chance to do it, to drive across Australia quickly is great because you see the whole thing sort of in its context, busy doing, you know, within a couple of days you see the whole thing. So I'd encourage you to do it. Successful relocation, a beautiful cohort of students who were welcoming. She felt people of peace were in her midst everywhere, a clear sense of adventure and journey. And on Monday morning, the doors were open for the new opportunity. First lecture was terrific. And then she had to go and sort out a little bit of administration afterwards. She met the accountant. She met the accountant. The accountant said, "Um, thank you for paying your fees, but you actually owe us $3,500 more than that. Where was that in the paperwork? Well, it was nowhere in the obvious paperwork. It was in a link on the website, apparently, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we Potsers aren't super-duper detailed people, so a link on the website we might miss. Understandably, her life of joy and elation at opening a new book, her plan A, had hit some headwinds. And not inconsiderable headwinds for someone who'd basically allocated every penny for this new adventure. I know what I'll do, she said. I'll pack up my room, 
There are some really good government jobs for great designers, and she's a great designer. I'll go and get a well-paid government job with panels, and maybe I'll come back to this later. That was last Monday. It's relevant, isn't it? It's relevant, these things, to us and to our experience. This is the water we swim in. But it's also for each of us, each of us all the time, the tale of two houses. Is it going to be the house of God or is it going to be our house? Is it going to be the house of faith, saving power, intimacy, presence, leap into the arms of the one who loves us or is it going to be our house of security, conformity, control, but with leanness, at least a spiritual leanness? What's it going to be? Jesus says that in his house there are many rooms and he's gone to prepare them for us. He also declares, he also declares, as you look at the foundation of the temple today, destroy that house and I will rebuild it. He's the God of rebuilding. He's the God of resurrection. But it takes faith and it takes courage and it takes somehow a mad belief that there will be a way when you can see no way. So let's go to Haggai chapter 2. The message is really quite simple. The returned remnant, remnant again are encouraged to take courage and refocus their resolve. But it's tough. This second prophetic word, remember time and dates, there are six of them in Haggai and they're very important. Believe it or not, this second prophetic word of God through Haggai to the remnant people comes a mere three and a half weeks after the first. Three and a half weeks later. Realistically, Not much has happened in three and a half weeks. Miles, you've been a consultant. Andy, you're an engineer. Does much happen in three and a half weeks? Really? You know, like, no? We had a town planner here this morning. He said, you'll generally get given a file number in three and a half weeks. So not a lot will have happened in three and a half weeks. The 16-year-old, remember that it's 16 years, they started and then they stopped uh, working on the works. The 16-year-old abandoned works would need clearing and, you know, they'd need quantity surveying and new work crews and materials. So Haggai's word had stirred them up after 16 years of no work actually happening. But not a lot had actually happened happened and it was the time of year where there were at least three major festivals and no one works at the time of Jewish festivals. Some countries don't have long annual leave but there's a holiday every second week, you know, for some sort of festival. There was the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement and then on the 17th of October 
when Haggai gives this prophetic word, it's what's known as booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when Haggai speaks to the people, the remnant people, on the Feast of Tabernacles, just the day before it finishes. Now, guess who was in Israel on the 17th of October? That's the date, the 17th of October, 2019. Last year, that's where... We were. I'm pressing it, Jen, and it's not working, so your cursor probably needs to move. I'm still pressing it. Can you press it for me? Hey! Huge booth. Monstrous booth. This was a big festal celebration going on in there, and you can even see the people up there watching it. This was the Western Wall. It's not usually like this. We actually got caught in a Malay in there and we kind of couldn't get in and we couldn't get out and we were getting crushed because the chief rabbi of Jerusalem was coming to bless the people. And this is the one I actually like the best. That little booth is sitting on top of the upper room where the Last Supper was held. And I just thought that was really cute. So these little booths get set up everywhere and some people uh, go and live in them. The booths or tabernacles celebrated two major things. The first thing it celebrated was God's love and care and abundant provision. It was a harvest festival. What were they experiencing? Leanness. Why were they experiencing leanness? Because they'd forgotten the task that they went there to do, which was to reensconce the presence and purpose of God in their lives. They were experiencing leanness. Interesting that Haggai should give this message at a festival that celebrates the abundance of harvest that they're not experiencing. The second element that was carried in the Feast of Tabernacles is God's provision in the wilderness when they exited from Egypt through the Red Sea and headed towards the Promised Land. God's abundant provision. Remember the manna and the quail that fell from the sky and preserved the people. So the point was that It celebrated the God who looked after Israel when they had absolutely no way of looking after themselves. So the message is have faith in God. Put your trust in me. So what's actually going on in the prophecy? Haggai asks the leaders of the people a question. He says, friends, you... Grey hairs. Who of you actually saw the first temple? Solomon's temple, you know, the beautiful one with the the marble pillars, gold on the floor, no less. 
this magnificent building. Who of you actually saw it in its former glory? In other words, who was around 50, 60, 70 years ago and saw that? He then asks them, and what do you see before you now? What did they see? Pile of rubble. They might have organised it a bit, might have cleared it a bit in three and a half weeks. They might have had a file number for the job. But basically, it was a disaster and a mess. A pile of rocks. And while a whole lot of relentless work, they could see a whole lot of relentless work ahead of them, and it engendered negativity in them. And they're already facing negativity and opposition. And then Haggai says to them, is it not, is it not in your sight nothing? Yeah, absolutely it's nothing. And they're devastated, particularly the ones like me with a bit of grey hair. Haggai's not sort of stirring up disappointment. He's picking up on the disappointment that is already three and a half weeks into, into the adventure, sapping the energy away from them. After resetting their face, they're discouraged again. To use an analogy, they're back with Moses in the wilderness after the exodus, whinging and moaning. And it's the mature. It's the oldies who are doing it. The senior leaders, the community leaders who are downcast, the ones who've seen the good old days, seen it all before. The younger ones are actually full of enthusiasm. We'll find that in a second. But it's the seniors who are questioning, tired, resigned and sad. We don't think we can get behind whatever the next project is. Ezra... If you go to page 367, there's a, there's a priestly historian, I'll call him, named Ezra, and he picks this uh, situation up. He describes the foundation, and um, even though it was just a foundation and rubble, they put an altar on it straight away, and they started worshipping on the space. So it was this mad sort of mess of sort of a building site and a, and a church that was worshipping. And then in Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, listen to this. All the people responded with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You know, it, it needed tidying up, but it was there. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundation, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, pile of rocks, 
though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joy from the sound of the weeping. For the people shouted so loudly, the sound was heard far and away. The slump was from the priests and the Levitical families and the heads, the people like me who've been leading a community for 16 years. Like you, perhaps, who've been participating in ministry for a long time, have seen great highs and one or two lows. Which side of this fence would you be on? The historic holders and takers of ground, the grey hairs like me, the sacrifices, the builders, the givers, the believers. Many of us were weeping and not for joy at the prospect of what was coming next. We were bringing it all down. It was a nervous and a disquieting time. There were threats. But it was also a time of opportunity and potential breakthrough and great faith, a time to invest, a time to to give our talent, our resources. The temple was a visible sign that God was doing a new thing. Let's lift him higher to fill his house with glory, verse 3 talks about the glory of the Lord and that's, that's, that's a word that evokes the Messiah coming, a new thing happening, the Messianic hope. John tells us in his gospel in chapter 1, he says that the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. So somehow in this ruined building site, there's this capturing of a future hope even though we have to imagine it though we can daily see it and we've worked so hard already for times like this we need Jesus so as we finish here's the thing here's the thing when spiritual renewal is on the threshold Do you look at it from the balcony of your panelled house and go, gee, that looks like hard work? Or do you start with a heart of celebration of God's unlikely provision and blossoming opportunity? Kieran and Barb have been working really hard. We're looking at the gospel project. We're giving testimony about how God's at work in our families, in our young people. We have a desire to resource more and more and more people to actually live the Christian meal, not just know the Christian menu. Where do we sit with that in terms of our heart, our passion? And I'm likely to be the problem. Because I look at you and say, Smithy, you've got a panelled house. Can we just come to your place and have a barbecue? That'd be really nice because I'm a bit tired. And some of us are a bit tired, aren't we? But this is an opportunity. And everything cries that the resurrection of God is on that mountain. It just needs to be put together because God brings resurrection. He finds ways where there is no way. That's what God does. That's what faith's about. 
That's what happens when you look at a $3,500 debt on your first day at college. You either put your faith in a God who will find a way or you pack your bags and you go to plan B. So what do you think she did? What do you think she did? She's my kid. She called dad. (laughs) Excellent prayer. (laughs) She called dad and went to prayer. Well, there's always a happy ending in God's kingdom. It's not covered, but it is deferred, and she doesn't have to panic. But so quickly we run to plan B. Instead of believing God that he called us there for plan A. So quickly we run to plan B. There's a couple of things that God says through Haggai to the remnant people. Be courageous. Be courageous. Whatever's before you, be courageous. Who did he say that to? Be strong and of good courage. Who was the main person he said that to? Who? Joshua. When he was entering the promised land, they'd never done it before. Be strong and of good courage. He says it here three times. Be courageous. The second thing he says is determine who you're living for. Who do you serve? Who will you serve? For I am with you, declares the Lord. Determine who you serve. Be courageous. Determine who you serve. Thirdly, remember the promises and remember what God's already done. We're going to start some new things, whether I'm here or not, in 2020. And I think uh, Haggai has a real word for us. So, Lord, just remind us this day, as we just sit in your presence, prayerful people who tend to rush to plan B, because plan A is always impossible, Lord, to be courageous, to be people who determine where our eyes will look. Do we look on the temple ruined but with hope? And Lord, to remember your promises and to remember what you have done, particularly what you've done in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus who has given us his Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, bless your people. Fill them anew this day with your courage and hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.